Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that broods over the world of cars and transport. I'm David Brown, and in this program we have news stories including the New South Wales Government pushes electric vehicle tax reform. In our interviews, Tim Robson from MG gives some frank opinions on their success and their approach to electric vehicles. Guido Schenken from the Genesis Prestige brand discusses their fast-improving model range, and Brian Smith covers the unusual subject of residents installing their own speed humps on public roads. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on Spotify or iTunes. Or there's our Facebook page, Overdrive City. So as always, we'll start the program with the news. The New South Wales Government's latest budget contains some measures to encourage the take-up of electric vehicles. Stamp duty has been eliminated on electric vehicles up to $78,000 from September 2021 and then for all EVs, including plug-in hybrids, from July 2027. $151 million will be invested in EV charging infrastructure. Electric vehicles will have access to Transit T2 and T3 lanes and there will be some cash rebates for customers. A road user charge of 2.5 cents per kilometre for electric vehicles and 2 cents per kilometre for plug-in hybrid electric vehicles will be applied from July 2027 or when EVs make up at least 30% of new car sales. Overdrive believes that plug-in hybrids should be given concessions immediately, as they are a good way to overcome range anxiety for vehicles that occasionally do long trips. And a road user charge should eventually be applied to all vehicles at differing rates as part of a long-called-for redesign of road user taxes. The Korean luxury car brand, Genesis, currently makes only small sales in Australia, but its percentage growth this year is enormous. In the month of May, it's up ninefold, strongly based on their large SUV. They currently have only three models on the market. Guido Schenken, their PR manager in Australia, says there are more on the way. We've just launched our updated G70 sports sedan in June And that's going to follow shortly in July with our second SUV, GV70. I think we've already taken 100 pre-orders on that car before it was physically seen by any of the customers. We have three EVs launching in the first half of 2022, all of which will be coming to Australia. So the first one will be a fully electric version of our G80 sedan. And the next two I can't talk about yet because they haven't been globally announced. SUVs have overshadowed the market for station wagons in Australia. Station wagons have a range of images from the stodgy family car to the sports wagon. Their sales have plummeted to the surprise and disappointment of many car enthusiasts who want the practical room and the sedan-like feel and handling. Subaru led the way in creating cars that look and feel like station wagons, but also had all-wheel drive, as their PR manager David Rowley reflects on. Maybe people have forgotten that we claimed the high ground in 1996 when Mark I Outback was launched. And we claim to this day that it was the original crossover vehicle, which by that very name suggests that it's a combination of 
wagon and SUV. Now, Peugeot has announced with fanfare their 308 SW for station wagon. But we won't get one here in Australia till 2022. The high-performance Subaru WRX was first launched in Australia in 1994. Now, total sales in this country have passed 50,000. With a turbocharged all-wheel drive setup and a highly successful rally pedigree, it became a prime example of a hero car that gave credibility to all Subaru models and fed many young persons' dreams. Its competitive success helped justify its unusual exterior design. The second-generation Impreza WRX, launched in 2000, had bug-eyed headlights that polarised opinion, but it still contributed to the Impreza range, winning the 2000 Wheels Car of the Year award. The current WRX produces 197 kilowatts of power, while the high-performance WRX STI has 221 kilowatts. These figures have not changed much in recent years, but they still represent high performance. Their new vehicle prices have generally decreased in real terms over the years. A new model is due out soon. Transport planning expert Brian Smith introduced the concept of shop-front passenger lounges to Christchurch back in 2016. Instead of bus passengers queuing awkwardly on the footpath, potentially blocking those who wanted to walk by, a shop front was turned into a waiting area. Inside was information on bus arrivals and a degree of comfort for the passengers. In New Zealand, an off-street bus exchange opened in 2000 provided a dramatic demonstration of the benefits of providing airport-quality waiting areas for bus passengers. The suburb of Rickerton has several lounges, but as Brian notes, there was pressure to have them removed. The City Council there was suffering some budget problems as a result of COVID, and they were looking for ways to cut spending. The operating costs of the Rickerton bus lounges made these a candidate. They consulted with the community and they received overwhelming support for the retention of the bus lounges. So it's great to see the Council both listening to its community, but also recognising the benefits to customers of operating these high-quality passenger waiting spaces. It really does treat bus passengers in, in Christchurch as very valued customers. That was Brian Smith, a technical executive and transport planner from WSP. And that has been the news. Tim Robson has a diverse background in commentating on the motor vehicle industry, but he is now the PR and communication manager for MG, which is the fastest growing company in sales in Australia. In a field that has some 50 passenger vehicle brands, MG now has sales that place it in the top 10. He joins us on the line now. MG, you don't have a large fleet, but you are embracing electrification. Look, absolutely. The, the success uh, of MG, which you noted, we're a top 10 company now, has come on the back of more traditional cars. Our MG3 small hatchback, the best-selling small hatch in Australia, uh, our ZST range, uh, award-winning uh, but affordable. The, uh, the the crisis of 2020 kind of came to the company in a little way. The people wanting to jump off public transport needed a way into affordable, safe cars, uh, and MG was was basically in position to be able to supply that. But yeah, look, the, the future is <clears throat> I mean, the future is definitely electric for MG at the moment. The MG name has tradition 
but of course you've just acquired the name. Has that been significant? More than a decade ago now, uh, uh, Sake in China acquired the, the MG uh, brand when the Rover Group was finally broken up in the UK, mm. uh, LD, and the LDV brand as well uh, went to uh, uh, went over, uh, over on the commercial side. It's an interesting position. I think the the acquisition of the brand in the early days may have been controversial, but I think it's actually playing uh, in our favour now. It's uh, There's certainly people, you know, there, there's a long legacy uh, from 1924 of people who've owned MGs and loved MGs and the notion of a, uh, of a cheap car with a bit of performance uh, is certainly nothing new. Obviously, we don't have anything yet that we can kind of uh, uh, go, go back to that history with. But people recognise the brand and it had, it's got a certain resonance to it. It's a, it's a bit of a familiar touch point. I think a lot of people uh, connect with that. You don't have anything you can go back to at the moment. Are, are you thinking of producing a two-door <laughs> sports car with large fenders on the side? Is, is that a possibility? I think, and we'll, we'll chat more about it as we, as we go in, but look, electricity is certainly something that, that performance people shouldn't actually be too worried about. Uh, we have sort of previewed in China uh, as a company uh, something called the Cyberster, which is very concepty. It's got massive wheels and carbon body and lots of uh, incredible technology on board it. But uh, yeah, underneath that sort of beautiful apple candy red paint, yeah, there is a bit of a glimpse as to what we can do uh, with with the elect- with uh, with electric uh, platforms with batteries with. Uh, multiple uh, multiple motors on each axle, all that kind of stuff. So you know, we have you know, the Cybester will go into production uh, overseas. Uh, we've got it on the planning table here. What form it takes, we don't know yet, and it's still a few years away. Uh, but it's not just going to be about SUV and, and small hatch uh, for MG going forward. We're certainly looking at where we've come from and where we can go from there. Uh, narrow little wheels with a spare tyre on the boot. <laughs> Chrome like a track, perhaps. <laughs> I wonder whether the MG overcomes what I would call the pulsar problem, where Nissan in Australia had a pulsar, which overseas I think was called the Silphy, S-Y-L-P-H-Y, but we replaced it here with the TIDA, T-I-I-D-A. I'm not talking about the quality of the car, I'm just talking about the name. I would think also of the things like the Kia Proceed, mm. which had an underscore and, and an apostrophe in it. Is it just a nice thing about the MG that it's, it's a very clear, non-quirky name? Yes, 100%. It's a, it's a clear graphic. I know our, our design team loves it because it's, it's big and bold. Um, and it does have a bit of a connection. And there's, there, there's a bit of a, I suppose, a disconnect with time as well. As motoring, a former motoring journalist myself and as you're a motoring journalist, we kind of, we know that the, you know, we know the jokes about the, the Prince of Darkness and all those sort of. Lucas, yeah. Exactly. All of those sort of connotations that came with, with early, uh, early uh, 20th century English cars. We have a new generation of buyer. Um, so they see uh, there's a bit of a, a vague connection. Maybe their parents or, or family members uh, understand the brand a bit more, but they just see a nice, simple, clear message. Uh, you know, the MG logo is big and prominent. And as you say, not very complex. Electric vehicles now give us a chance to mm. uh, design new shapes, well, different shapes. You no longer have to have the big engine up the front. Do you think that that is a trend that will happen in the industry, that we can approach things with a different design because of the underlying technology? 
Absolutely, David. I think that's 100% correct. As you know, you, you, the, the fundamental design of an of a electric vehicle, we're going to have a, a skateboard style of, of platform, aren't we? We're going to have a big central battery in the main, uh, while battery technology is where it is. Uh, we'll have you know, any number of motors, front or rear, we can, we can sort of customise that. Uh, what MG is doing with that is actually we've got a, 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 our next uh, platform technology is called RTEC. And it's almost, if you, th- if you think about it as Lego for cars, we can take a battery unit, we can take uh, one single motor for the front axle, two for the rear, uh, we can take different sort of control systems, and we can mix and match uh, to, to create what we need, into it, whether it's a, a B-segment uh, SUV or it's something larger or even something more sporty. We're able to sort of take those fundamental building blocks uh, and to create something that's you know, pretty much exactly what we need, whether it's for this market, whether it's for UK, uh, whether it's for Europe. Uh, Europe only at the moment even only sells uh, electric cars on, on the on, with an MG badge on it. They don't actually sell any petrol uh, cars at all. So, yeah, look, I think the world's the oyster when it comes to designers yeah, looking at what they can build uh, out of this uh, basically Lego box set of, uh, of electric components. The fact now that we are talking about a new way of clean sheet of being able to design. Now, Hugh and I perhaps grew up in a time where the car was king and we expected it, as you said earlier, in certain formats and we used it on its own. We are now moving to a time where we are more considering that we don't need a car, we need transport, mobility as a service. Is this a way in which the car companies might even go further in considering what are the needs of the people rather than fitting the standard patterns. It's a very good point well made in terms of uh, what's happening in Australia at the moment as various uh, governments uh, around the the states and territories looking to incentivise the purchase of new cars and saying that half our fleet will be or quarter of our fleet will be electric by 2030 and all this kind of stuff. But there's no one that I'm hearing talking about things like last mile technology, battery swapping, the rise of work from home given the pandemic in 2020. So there are different ways of, as you say, skinning the cat there. And MG is certainly looking at that. We, you know, not only do we have good, you know, we have a lot of electric, uh, vehicle technology, but there are a lot of last mile solutions, scooters and bikes and, and all that kind of thing. Uh, the next, you know, the next generation of, of MG electric vehicles, we're looking at like, you know, things, uh, where vehicle to home charging. So you could actually have, uh, say, for example, you could put a small foldable e-bike in the boot of an SUV. Uh, which can charge off the car while you're driving it, then pop it out. You're on a bike path for the last sort of kilometre into the city so you can actually park the vehicles outside. Uh, you know, we, we live in Sydney and uh, I tell you what, the uh, you know, parking cars is not getting it any easier. It's already at, uh, you know, capacity in places like North Sydney and Alexandria. It's just, you know, parking a car is difficult already. How are we going to go in 10 years' time? So what's the solution? Maybe there's mass parks or or you know, as I say, that last mile solution to get to public transport. So there are, there's a lot to be played out, and it's not you're dead right. It's not just about reinventing a new car to add to the uh, to the current crop. Uh, it's about so, yeah, a wider range of, uh, of solutions that we can all use. Tim, I've uh, we've chatted uh, at length, of which I really appreciate your time. Thanks very much. I've enjoyed this. I've learned a lot. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. And that was Tim Robson, the PR and Communications Manager for MG. The full interview is available on our website at drivenmedia.com.au and we will hear other excerpts from that interview in later programs. You're listening to Overdrive. The Genesis brand 
is a Korean luxury car brand that has been in Australia and made a comeback. And while its sales are still very small, its percentage growth is enormous in the month of May. It's up ninefold. And to talk about that and what might be coming, because it still only has a fairly small number of vehicles in the fleet, we have on the line their PR manager, Guido Schenken. G'day, Guido. Good afternoon, David. You have grown significantly. It's been mainly your big SUV, hasn't it? Yes, so Genesis launched as a brand in Australia in 2019, but we only had two sedan cars, whereas last year we launched our first SUV, GV80, which is a BMW X5 size. So since going on sale last year, it's been going gangbusters for us. We all know it's it's an SUV market out there, and here with our launch of our first SUV, we're brand has gone from strength to strength. Well, COVID made it a difficult time to really find your feet, but are you finding that sales in that area are generally coming back very strongly for the very bargain basement price, but also for luxury vehicles? Yes, I think the luxury vehicles actually made it through COVID quite well, but for us it was a bit slow until the, the SUV launched for us in November, so it was sort of as we were coming out of the, I guess, the first COVID wave. You're not charging the highest of prices. You feel that there is, within those parameters of luxury motoring, a certain value for money? Yeah, we're well-priced. We put a lot of standard equipment in our cars. If you're accustomed to shopping from the premium brands, you'll know they have huge option lists. So Genesis basically has one model and then a luxury pack. So the majority of all the features come in the car. So, yes, they're very well priced versus the competition. We talked about the 80 series, if you like, the 80 number that you have on your cars. So you've got some smaller ones just come out and about two as well. What are they? We've just launched our updated G70 sports sedan in June, and that's going to follow shortly in July with our second SUV, GV70, which we're really excited about. I think we've already taken 100 pre-orders on that car before it was physically seen by any of the customers. We also just opened our first Genesis studio in Melbourne in the Emporium Shopping Centre. So that now gives us a physical retail space in Victoria. So along with the new 70 range cars, we're expecting a nice uptake in sales. The Genesis studio, what do I learn from that in terms of marketing, that it's called a studio? So studio is more of a brand, maybe a brand store, a brand retail outlet or a customer experience center so it's owned and run by genesis australia so it's not your traditional dealer it's not franchise so our staff are in there to deal with the customers so it's meant to give you a really good sort of insight into the brand and who we are and we can obviously also arrange test drives and things out of there as well do you organize that out of there or to a dealer out of there or we also have in sydney and soon to be opening in the Gold Coast and in Melbourne, some test drive centres, Genesis test drive centres. Again, run by us, the manufacturer, so we're not franchising out in the traditional dealer sense. We own all our retail outlets. Oh, all of them? Hmm, all of them. All, all, all four at the moment, yes. All four. Is that something that suits a luxury brand? The whole idea is to give the customer a better experience. So, by owning the spaces ourselves, we're able to better control the experience the customer has. You see the benefit, of course, of having a broader range of vehicles in your fleet. How big can that get? Well, we have three EVs launching in the first half of 2022. 
all of which will be coming to Australia. So the first one will be a fully electric version of our G80 sedan, and the next two I can't talk about yet because they haven't been uh, globally announced. So electric vehicles is really uh, some of the hero cars for manufacturers around the world now, isn't it, taking both a social responsibility but reflecting what markets are moving to? Yes, that's the way the market's heading. So we obviously want to be on the front foot and be be ahead of the game. So, yeah, we think with three cars in the first half of next year, it'll be really good for the brand. Guido, lovely to talk to you. Thank you for your time. Thank you, David. And that's Guido Schenken, who is the PR manager for Genesis here in Australia, talking about their evolving market position and how they're approaching their interaction with customers. This is Overdrive across Australia. I've just spent a week in the latest Isuzu D-MAX X-Terrain, which is the top model of the D-MAX range with premium features, comfort and advanced safety and connectivity technology. What becomes apparent with the more time you spend in the D-MAX is just how easy they are to drive and how convenient it is for both recreational activities and work. As well as a number of external cosmetic additions that enhance the appeal, the X-Terrain has a more premium interior with standard features such as a dramatically improved 9-inch infotainment screen with digital audio, radio, Android Auto and wireless Apple CarPlay, electronic driver's seat with additional lumbar support, walkaway locking, 8-speaker surround sound system and a host more. It has class-leading safety features across the range and the new intelligent driver assist system, the D-MAX has a 5-star ANCAP safety rating. Improvements to the reliable 3-litre turbo diesel engine mean smoother driving and better economy. D-MAX has always been a strong off-road performer, as well as an excellent tow vehicle for caravans. The X-Train is priced from only $63,900 plus the usual costs. I'm Rob Fraser. You're listening to Overdrive. And we're back this week with some more quirky news and our good friend Brian Smith. Gay Brian. G'day, David. The city of Memphis, they have had a street there, Perkins Terrace, in Colonial Acres, which sounds very sort of wonderfully bucolic. It is, in fact, in the middle of Memphis, but it's on the eastern side of the airport, whereas Gracelands is on the western side. I just thought I'd give you some context there, Brian. Thank you. Uh, cultural context. <laughs> they have a lot of people speeding down the street. In fact, they're very long and straight. And it looks a little bit like drag streets and surprise, surprise, cars go quickly down them. A neighbour got tired of waiting for the local council to approve a speed hump. So he said, I'll put one in myself. And they did. And all hell broke loose. Public-private partnerships. Is this a good example, Brian? <laughs> David, this is a, it's a great example of a private-public partnership that went wrong. It's not a do-it-yourself speed hump. You buy these things, right? He bought a speed hump. It's a rubber speed hump, and he installed it. Two and a half metres long and about 20 centimetres wide, and it, it, he's attached it. It's, it's You can buy your own traffic management stuff these days, so it's a proper speed hump. And it, and it got me thinking, what's the problem with just putting speed humps everywhere? I'm kind of on his side a little bit here. There's a speed problem. The council's not doing anything about it. The speed hump of itself is not a dangerous thing, David. What do you think? If you're going to muck around a lot, and quite often if you're held up simply because of funding, 
and the local community, in this case one person, decided to do it and he seems to have a little bit of support from a few other people. Nick Photopolis was uh, one of his neighbours. One neighbour called Christ Steinmetz. Yes. Perhaps he feels he has divine intervention. The uh, person is uh, Mr Starrett is putting it in and pay for it himself. Now, Brian, you've done a lot of traffic engineering. Is this a good speed hump? It seems like it's only 50 millimetres thick and about 250 millimetres wide, so it's a bit of a bump in a short distance. Is that a good one or a bad one? I'm not sure. It may not be terribly effective at slowing people down. It's kind of more or less a judder bar, yeah. really. One thing I'd... Do, I did find in, in a, a bit of a career of doing some traffic engineering for a while is that, is that often the people who are, are speeding can be identified and they're your neighbours, right? So, um, you know, it, it may be the intervention might be a way of dealing with a particular speed problem. But in general, look, I think, you know, designs that keep people's speed down are great in urban areas. And I think if, uh, you know, we've had a lot of guerrilla sort of um, – uh, urbanism and uh, you know, pop-up bicycle lanes and things like that through the pandemic, I think we should be encouraging this kind of thing, but perhaps sort of directing them a little more around the technical aspects and saying, well, if we want this to, thing to work, here's the type of, of device or type of treatment and getting some private investment into it or private investment into their own streets. I If I make private investment, can I buy a speed camera? I'll give the government 10%. Yeah. I'll take the rest. Now, look, I've got to tell you, my son lives in a city in a quiet street, except for the occasional car that roars up and down. And it's a narrow street, by the way. It's not as if there's a lot of room to do. Or a young lad, not condemning him per se, but he went down the street, a little bit of a hill, on a skateboard. The noise was intense. (laughs) <laughs> and it's a noisy because it's juxtaposed against the quietness that is normally in the street. And so, you know, a one roaring car or one car on off-road tyres or a motorbike really makes a very distinct change in the sound, and that's what makes it stand out. I'm with you, Brian. I, it's absurd to think that it's doing 60k down a road or 30 is going to do anything to your travel time. Yes, yeah. It's negligible. So, look, I think we should find a way to harness this kind of enthusiasm okay. rather than pulling the thing out. More or less, he was told, you can't do this, and speed hump's illegal and must be removed. And there's no sign of the speed hump coming back or whether it, in one would indeed be installed in the right place. But, yeah, if a community wants to do something about traffic in their streets, let's help them do it. I presume council would be working off guidelines and those guidelines would be available. Yep. And so it would be relative to the, the local people to read the guidelines and, and put them in appropriately. I, I think we may go further. I think we might ultimately end up this, your car can't go down that street unless it's governed, mm-hmm. that it's held to that. It might even be caused by a GPS system. Yeah, and, and just a different type of, um, of compliance, isn't it? May not need devices at all. I get people that sort of say, oh, this is a a, a front against freedom of expression. I don't think it is. I think it's a case to do. In fact, that's a subject that we might talk about uh, next week when we catch up then. Thanks, Brian. Thank you, David. Brian Smith, a transport planner and a former traffic engineer. 
and one who looks at for the more unusual stories in motoring and transport. You're listening to Overdrive. Audi's top performance SUV is the RSQ8, and is a combination of sheer power, beauty, comfort and functionality. Launched in late 2020, the RSQ8 has stunning looks and inside it is unbelievably comfortable. The heart is a 4-litre TFSI V8 engine with twin turbochargers and develops an impressive power output of 440-odd kilowatts. We talk of 800 newton meters driving all four wheels through the Quattro system. It will rocket from 0 to 103.8 seconds, which is close to a McLaren 540C, and will top out at a governed 250 kilometers an hour. But there is an option with ceramic brakes that will allow it to go to 305 kilometers an hour. Well, it's not often said that a $210,000 plus car could be considered a bargain, but when you add up the level of sophistication, dynamics, performance, and features for the price, there isn't much even close to the RSQ8. It's a family long-distance cruiser, perfect for trips to the snow, and perhaps when you are by yourself, find a quiet, nice, tight, twisty section of road and let rip. Within speed limits, of course. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Tim Robson, Guido Schenken, Brian Smith, Rob Fraser and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify or there's our Facebook site, Overdrive City. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.